Good evening. Uh, as Stephen said, tonight's reading is from Jeremiah, uh, chapter 25, verses 1 to 16, which is on page 785 of the Bibles in front of you. So, Jeremiah 25, starting at verse 1. The word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem, For twenty-three years, from the thirteenth year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, Turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land of the Lord that he gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. I will bring on that land all the things I have spoken against it, all that are written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. They themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings. I will repay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. Great evening, folks. Well, do keep uh, that passage open, Jeremiah chapter 25, page uh, 785. And uh, we're back in Jeremiah after a few weeks away over Easter. Um, This exciting book, um, Jeremiah the prophet, with these words from God speaking to God's people Israel um, some six, seven centuries before Christ just to give us a bit of context to what's going on there. Um, but before we, we dive right into this passage, um, I wonder how you find it when people don't listen to you. Do you find that happens? People don't listen to you, and, it, and uh, it's really frustrating, isn't it? Um, I came across this story um, of uh, Franklin Roosevelt, um, who is a 
a long dead president of the United States, um, who often endured long receiving lines of all these well-wishers at the White House. Um, and he complained that, that no one really ever listened to what he was saying. They were just so excited or felt they had to put on such sort of grace and airs when they were in his presence. Uh, and one day during one of these fancy receptions, he decided to, to do a little test, to do an experiment. So each person came down the line. They were excited to meet the president of the United States of America. They knew they were going to shake his hand. And he murmured, I murdered my grandmother this morning. Um, And the guests responded with phrases like, marvelous. (laughs) Keep up the good work. We are proud of you. God bless you, sir. The guests, and well, they hadn't figured out, they weren't paying any attention to what the president was saying. It wasn't until the end of the line, while greeting the ambassador from Bolivia, um, that his words were actually heard. And, and uh, rather casually, the ambassador leaned over and whispered, I'm sure she had it coming. Well, we're not thinking about what it means to take the words of the President of the United States seriously. We're thinking about what it means to take the words of God seriously this evening. Far more important. What it means to to take God at his word. And a bit of an opportunity for us to think whether or not actually we are listening to him at the moment. Let's just lay down some basic ideas about what the Bible says about God talking from his word. Um, Firstly, the Bible says that God speaks. God is a communicating God. He wants to be known, so he speaks to people. And we look through the Bible, and he's done that in different ways at different times. Um, He spoke to Abraham, famously, in Genesis 12. He he had a, a call on Abraham's life, and he spoke to him. He gave him words that Abraham could understand. God has also spoken through the prophets, people like Jeremiah, that God sent with a purpose to proclaim his word. God gave the prophet his words and the prophet then delivered that to the people who intended to receive it. Um, But God has also spoken perhaps most vividly to us through his son. The beginning of the book of Hebrews makes that, that claim that God has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. But God is still speaking to us today as we, as we sit here with our Bibles open. God speaks to his people. He speaks to us today most clearly through his word. But there is a problem. There is a problem. The problem isn't with God and his communication. The problem is, are we listening? So we're thinking about taking God at his words this evening from Jeremiah 25. And we're going to ask three questions as we think about that. Um, Why should we listen? Why should we listen to God? What's the reason? Um, What happens when we ignore him? And where's the hope in all of this when it all goes wrong? So firstly, let's, let's think about why we should listen. Well, the first reason that we're told from this passage why we should listen is because the message affects all of us. Have a look with me at the beginning of uh, chapter 25. It says, the word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah. So God has a message for all his people. These aren't just a small minority. It's not just some leaders who have have, uh, got some crazy ideas. This is a message for all of his people. 
But it's not a new message. Have a look at verse 3. This is Jeremiah saying, For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Amon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me. And I have spoken to you again and again. This is amazing um, determination that, that God has given Jeremiah, preaching this, this same message again and again to God's people for 23 years. That God's people need to sort their life out. They're living in a way that does not please God. And if they don't do something about it, something serious is going to happen. I wonder if you had an important message for someone, would you be willing to repeat, repeat it patiently for 23 years? And it wasn't just Jeremiah with this message for, for God's people. Uh, look at verse four. And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again. So, so it's not just Jeremiah, but, but we look through the Bibles and uh, the Bible and, and other prophets as, as well in Jeremiah's time. People that God had sent to his people with a message for them. Jeremiah wasn't, wasn't the first prophet and he wasn't going to be the last. But through all of this, God's message, and, and God is persistent, isn't he? And, and he's persistent for a few reasons, I think. Firstly, so that the people, God's people, would be without excuse when they eventually have to face up for their wrongdoing. But also, and this is the message that, that God had given Jeremiah throughout this, is so that they might have a chance to turn back to him. That's why God is being so patient. That's why God is patient with us today, so that people may turn back to him. God was persistent then, and he is now. He's persistent still in our lives today. And I'm wondering, as I prepare this, that actually maybe for you, God may have been trying to break through to, to you for years. And I wonder, are you listening? I wonder if there's something in the way. Sometimes you see people um, who seem to be so close to, to making a commitment to, to, uh, to giving their lives over to Christ. But there seems to be something stopping them, something that they're kind of putting between them and God to stop them from listening. I wonder maybe if that's you. I wonder if you need to do business with God this evening. We're going to have a bit of silence after I finish talking and perhaps you want to use that um, to do some business with God for yourself this evening. So we need to listen because the message affects us. Um, but what is this message we need to listen to? Well, have a look with me down at the beginning of verse 5. These prophets said, Turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices. So God's message to his people is that they would turn from evil. Turn away from living lives for themselves. Now, evil sounds pretty, uh, uh, pretty horrific, doesn't it? You know, we don't like to think that we do evil things. We know that there are certain people, maybe in high security jails, who do evil things. But, but God is saying that actually all His people are, are guilty of evil. All of them have hearts that are far from God. And Jeremiah paints that out as to what, what was happening in the nation's life and, and what that looked like on the outside. Something was wrong on the inside and that showed itself on the outside. There was, there was false worship. Um, it says later on that they were, they were making idols with their own hands, things carved out of wood and stone that they would bow down and worship. 
things that they would call their gods. And in some cases, um, they would keep their, their worship of God. They would go to the temple, make sacrifices and, and think they could please God like that and then go outside the city walls and worship other gods, like worshipping the god Malek, whose worshippers said that you had to sacrifice your child to make Malek happy. You put them in this, put your child in this, this burning kind of dish, and they would play this music so loud to cover up the screams. It was horrific, horrible stuff that God can rightly call evil. I mean, it's right that God calls that stuff evil, isn't it? And it comes out of a heart that, that doesn't love God. That God's people had broken their side of the covenant. Now, they didn't like hearing that in Jeremiah's day. We don't like hearing it today. We don't like to think that there are things in our life that need sorting out. But God's message is that we would turn around. Now, is God just being picky here? Is God just just saying, these are how I want things done and you need to sort it out so you can be like me? Well, that's not what he appeals to. If we carry on looking in verse 5, he says, you've got to turn from all these evil ways and evil practices. You've got to stop doing them and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. God wants his people to, to turn around so that they can enjoy the blessing of life with him. After all they've done, he is still willing to forgive them. That they can be his, his people in relationship with him. And one of the motivations um, we should have for, for, for turning to God isn't just thinking, oh, I kind of want to do things God's way because otherwise he might get me. Well, actually, that's not going to create much of a lasting change. But actually, a good motivation is actually I'm going to turn to God because actually that's how to live the best life possible. Not not the easiest. It's certainly not the easiest thing to to follow Jesus as Lord. But it is the best, isn't it? I mean, eternal life, life in all its fullness. But I wonder, do you believe that? Do you believe that this evening? Is that? something you really believe that's the message we need to listen to we need to turn back to god and and god says we need to listen to him because of how easy it is actually to bring harm to ourselves you see these these ways of living cause ourselves harm have a look at verse seven god is saying he gave him time his people time and time again to turn back But you did not listen to me. That's the issue. You did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made. There's that idolatry worshipping false gods. And you have brought harm to yourselves. By putting anything other than God at the centre of our lives, we bring harm to ourselves. That's what God is saying here. That is how we bring God's judgment on us, by putting something apart from God in the place that should exclusively be for God in our lives. We all have this problem. It is a problem of our hearts. It is what the Bible calls a sin problem that needs fixing. 
And by failing to, to listen to God, to take his war- warning seriously, well, actually, we will reap the rewards. It should be so obvious. But if you're anything like me, then you're full of excuses for not listening to God, for not, not listening to his word. I'm just too busy at the moment to, to carve out good quality time to spend reading God's word, to listen to him. To think about actually the things that I'm hearing on a Sunday in church or in small group, actually how I actually live those things out in my life. We're full of excuses. And we risk ignoring God's commands if we ignore God's words, don't we? How are we going to be knowing what, what God wants us to do if we're not willing to spend time in, in God's word, the Bible, listening to him in it? I can't see how how any of us can be seeking to obey God if we hardly ever open these things. So that's why 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 God through the prophet Jeremiah says we should listen. But but what happens then if we ignore him? What what does it look like? And, and firstly we've got to say we're all guilty, aren't we, of of ignoring God? Um at different times and in different ways. Well, what happens when we ignore him? Well, it's a little bit like saying we want to remove ourselves from knowing God's blessing. That's what we're saying when we ignore God. It's like saying, God, we don't want you. And we're not even sure that we want the things that that you're offering us. Have a look with me then at verses 8 and 9. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words... I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. God's servants then, God's people, have stopped listening to him. So God's going to go elsewhere, probably to the least likely person in the time of Jeremiah, to bring about actually what God's people have asked for. They want to be like the other nations. They want to worship these these idols, these gods like the other nations do, these false gods. If that's what they want, then God is going to give them that. As one writer put it, God had spoken in love to his people, but they refused to obey. Now he must speak in wrath. Actually, the worst thing that God can give us sometimes is the very things that we ask for. And because of this, God's people were going to face his judgment through this king Nebuchadnezzar from from Babylon who was going to come and invade Judah and, and, and carry away the people back to Babylon where they would be prisoners, they would be in exile, and that's the ones that would survive. Many would be killed in the process. But actually, that isn't King Nebuchadnezzar's idea. This is all part of God's plan. He is the one who is in control, even in charge of King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful powerful king in the day of Jeremiah. Look what kind of life you get if you choose to ignore God's rule and God's kindness. It's, it's a sad picture, Luke, in verse 10. God says, I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness. No more joyful singing. The voices of bride and bridegroom. What should be a happy day, that will not happen. 
the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. It's a miserable existence, joy taken away, certainly compared to what they knew before of living in relationship with God. And it's a warning to us as well. We keep on ignoring God, refusing to listen to him. It's miserable. Verse 11, this whole country will become a desolate, desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. God's people will no longer have a place to call home. Part of being in a covenant with God is, is knowing his rule, his kindness in his place. But that's not going to happen for them because of their disobedience, or at least temporarily, but we'll get to that in just a bit. But what about for us? Well, I think actually we can mistakenly think that the best things are often to be found outside of God and outside of his will. Or maybe we try and justify them that they're kind of okay and it's, it's something we're kind of working on at the moment. But, but we are wrong, aren't we? That's what this passage tells us. The fullness of life isn't found outside of a relationship with God. The world will tell you that. But the Bible says the fullness of life and all pleasures are found in a growing relationship with the living God. It's mistaken to think the best things are found outside of a relationship with him. It's like saying, God, we'd quite like the stuff that you give us, you know, the, the, the nice things, the blessings, all that. But we don't want you. How arrogant. We need to check that if that's where we think our, our thinking is and, and confess that to God and ask for his forgiveness. Because when God's people act like this, something else happens. Not only is it bad for them, not is it bad for us, but actually it has effect on the whole world and what God wants to do in the whole world. Because when God's people act like this, they fail to bring the blessing to others that God intends them to bring. If we flip on over the page, uh, you see this description of the cup of God's wrath, verse 15. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and may all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Now, th- this is picture language of, um, of God's anger, his wrath being poured out on all evil. And, and, and that cup is going to be using King Nebuchadnezzar and, and the Babylonians. Because God's people are saying in their idolatry and their evil practices that they don't want God. So in that case, they are free to be given away, free to be given to this king from Babylon. But that's not the only reason this is bad. As one writer put it, the fate of the nations, the fate of the nations will be tied up with the fate of Israel. At this time, as as Israel, God's people are failing to remain faithful to God, or at least many of them. They are failing to be a blessing to the nations that God wants them to be. That was God's purpose in calling Abraham in, in Genesis 12, that, that through him, the whole world might be blessed, might know God's goodness. But it translates to our day too, as, as God's people here today. That actually, if we are refusing to, to listen to God, to take him seriously and to, to live that out, it doesn't just damage us and our relationship with God, but the people that God wants us to reach as well. Think of it like this. 
how can we speak words of life, words of love to our friends, to our, our colleagues, uh, to people at college, family members? How can we speak words of life and love to them if we are not willing to hear them ourselves? That's what happens when we ignore God and his word. We fail to bring the blessing to the world that, that God wants us to. Or at least it's a, it's a much more of a painful process for us until we open our eyes. Now, um, when we go through Jeremiah, there's a lot of judgment, isn't it? It's, it, it's heavy stuff. It, it makes us think, and that's good. And, and, and in preparing for this, it's, it's funny because two weeks ago we were here and we were celebrating Easter and everyone had big grins on. Today we're all looking quite serious, which is good. And, and I was thinking, how do these things go together? Where, where is the hope in Jeremiah 25? And it is there because this and the Easter story aren't two different stories. They're part of the same thing, aren't they? Well, let's have a look. Firstly, in, uh, in verse 11, we think about where's the hope. Um, this whole country will become a desolate wasteland. Doesn't sound like hope to me. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon. How long? For 70 years. God is saying, even in this judgment for, for all the evil and wickedness that, that his people have done, there would be a future for God's people after that time of exile, after those 70 years. There would be people returning to the land. Which means that God isn't finished with his people, rather that he is looking to rebuild them after they return from Babylon. So God has a future for his people. And we know that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came from those people, came from Israel. But also there's hope because God is going to judge his people's enemies as well. And think about why that is good news. We read here that, that Babylon would be judged for their part in all of this. Um, their cruelty and their violence on Israel and on the other nations, God will put an end to. And this is good news. Firstly, because God uses people in the world to, to bring about his plans. The, the king of Nebuchadnezzar, kings and rulers today, aren't outside of God's control. They're within his control. He, he sovereignly um, uses them to bring about his purposes in the world. And at the same time, God will also bring to account those who have done evil. And we think about that for our brothers and sisters around the world, for, for persecuted Christians. We've been thinking, obviously, these last few weeks about our brothers and sisters in places like Sri Lanka. We can look at, at Jeremiah 25 and what God was doing through the Old Testament up to Christ. And we can say that actually we can have hope that God will bring good out of this for the country of Sri Lanka and for our Christian brothers and sisters there. He will strengthen his church as a result of that persecution. And at the same time, he will bring to account those who have done evil, who have killed, who have torn apart lives, those who do not turn to him. 
But we read this passage and, and, and we think actually we share in, in that, that common guilt of humanity. We, we all stand before God guilty of ignoring him, of not living the kind of lives that, that we should for our own good and, and for his glory. Well, then how can we have assurance that, that we won't be judged too? We've turned away from God. We've, we've failed to listen to him. Well, it comes back to the cup. It comes back to the cup. Now, now, the cup of God's wrath, as we've seen in verse 15 to 16, is going to be King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon working out God's purposes. He is going to be God's servant to punish evil and to help God's people to understand how they are now to live. But in the Bible, we also read of this cup again, don't we? We read about it on a a dark hill outside Jerusalem. We think that we thought about it on on Monday, Thursday, about how Jesus wept. He sweated like blood in that garden of Gethsemane and agreed to drink this cup of God's wrath so we don't have to. So that instead, we don't have to drink the cup of God's wrath, but through God's servant, we would drink the cup of life, of Jesus's blood. So we might have this cup of life and know the assurance of forgiveness, of, of freedom from, from judgment. And, and now as we're going to be approaching communion shortly, I want us to think about it when, if we're coming up and receiving the wine, especially thinking about that cup as we take that in communion. We don't do that fearing the cup of wrath that we will face from God. No, that's been dealt with for all who trust in Christ. But when we, when we taste that wine, when we hold that cup, we remember that by God's servant's blood, We have been forgiven. By Jesus' blood, we have been forgiven. That's what we remember when we drink that wine, when we hold that cup. We don't get the cup we deserve, the cup of wrath. We get the cup that comes from his grace, this this cup of life. Jesus' blood that that washes us clean. So we're going to spend a few moments... Before we, before we go to communion, just, just in silence, just think about a uh, few things and uh, three things about listening to God and they all begin with R. Do we recognize it? Do we recognize that God is a speaking God and, and God wants to speak to us through his word continually to make us more like Jesus? Recognize? Do we repent? Do we turn away from whatever it is we are using as an excuse to block our relationship with God or things that we're doing that, that we know we shouldn't or things that we're not doing that we know we should? Do we repent? And do we come to him to be restored, to be made new, to be renewed in his likeness? So let's spend a couple of minutes in silence thinking about that. Do we recognize? Do we repent? And do we want to be restored?